And so this morning we're carrying on. We're doing a series uh, in the book of Matthew. And we've called this series The Cost. We're going through um, a bit of a series just now chatting about what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? Not just like uh, what are all the nice things and what are all the lovely parts of it, but what does it cost us to be a follower of Jesus? What, what does it mean when we put our hands up and we say, I want to call you my King Jesus? What does that actually translate to in our lives? What has to change? What has to go? What has to come in that wasn't there before? What, what makes us different? What sets us apart? What is the cost of following Jesus? And so we're carrying on in that this morning. Uh, and this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 uh, and we're in verse 44 to 46. And I know what you're thinking, the keen-eyed among you will have noticed that's just three verses, Scott. If we do a verse to minutes, you will speak ratio. That's a five-minute talk. I'm really sorry. You're going to be sadly disappointed. It's a little longer than that. But I do believe that in these three verses this morning, there is incredible potential for us to understand the value of the kingdom. Just what is it that we're actually signing our our lives into? What is it that we're saying yes to? What is the value of what we're about to step into? It's the value of the kingdom of God. The context of the, the three verses here are that they are parables. Jesus is telling two very, very short stories. Um, to help his disciples and the people who are following him understand what is the value of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and before these verses in this passage, we've talked. he's talked about how do you let people know about the kingdom of heaven. He's talked about a story about scattering seed and how some of it lands in good ground and some of it lands in bad ground. And then he's talked about uh, how the kingdom of heaven is like a little mustard seed. It's like this little thing that when it's planted, it's tiny, but it grows into something incredible and powerful and strong in each life that it's deposited into. And so now we're picking it up and saying, if, if, that's, how, if that's how the kingdom advances, what is the value of the kingdom that has been planted? And so we're picking that up this morning. Um, I wonder if anyone here has ever been searching for treasure before. Has anyone ever gone like out with a metal detector or gone out with a bucket and spade on a beach and thought, I'm going to find something today? I, I'll be honest with you, I am skeptical about uh, metal detecting. I'm so sorry if that's your passion in life, but anytime I see anyone with a metal detector, the first thing that goes off in my head is, you will never find anything that will pay for that metal detector that you've done. It's, I'm, I'm skeptical about it, I'm sorry, but this week... My mind was blown and all my perceptions were changed when I read an article in the news from earlier this year. It's about a couple who went out searching for treasure. Uh, They're called Adam Staples and Lisa Grace. And they found a hoard of 2,528 silver coins uh, while they were treasure detecting in a field in Somerset in England. And it turned out they were Roman coins. And when they took them in to get valued at an auctioneer's, they were worth five million pounds five million pounds now the landowner whose land it was gets a half of that because he owns the land but they get the other half of that they get two and a half million pounds just because they decided one morning let's go out with our treasure detectors and our metal detectors and see what we can find their whole lives changed in an instant and in today's passage jesus speaks about the worth of the kingdom and how when we understand what it is we're actually getting our hands on when we say yes to Jesus, how our whole lives are transformed by him as we understand the value of what it is that we're inheriting. And so we're going to read together Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. If you need a Bible this morning, I should say as well, there's Bibles on the end of the rows. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take one of our Bibles and and it can be your Bible from now on. We'd love you to have a Bible. If you've not got one, please take one away with you. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. 
when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. God, we pray that you would speak to us through these words this morning. We pray that your word would come alive as we unpack and explore together today. And we pray that we would leave this room changed uh, by your message, by your goodness and by your grace. Amen. So the first thing that really jumps out in this passage is that Jesus is really clear when describing the worth of the kingdom of heaven. What is it that we are pursuing when we, when we look for a relationship with Father God? What is it that, that we're signing up for when we say yes to Jesus? What is it worth? And it turns out the answer to that question is that when we give our yes to God, when we give our yes to following Jesus, when we say yes to inheriting the kingdom of heaven, it turns out that we are inheriting the most valuable thing we will ever encounter or inherit in our lives. The value of us entering into relationship with our heavenly father is indescribable, uncountable, invaluable. We can't ever put a price tag on it. It is the most incredible thing we would ever know. He talks about the people in this passage, those two men who go searching for a pearl. One's searching for it. He's a merchant and he knows what he's looking for. The other one's just a guy that stumbles across it. But for both of them, they instantly recognize this is worth more than anything else we could possibly ever own or imagine owning. I have to get rid of everything in this moment so that I can get my hands on this pearl. The kingdom of heaven is incredibly valuable. I talked about at the start about a couple who went out with their metal detector and found coins worth five million pounds. Uh, on the metal detecting theme, uh, I found another story this week about another couple of friends, a guy called Andy Sampson and a guy called Paul Adams. And they maybe even were inspired by the first couple, but they went out into a field with their little metal detector and they were like, we're going to find some treasure. And so they went scouring around the field and they did the same thing. They stumbled across this box of uh, like 2,000 silver coins and they were like, oh my goodness, they looked rolling. It was the exact same thing. They were like celebrating. They were like, oh, this is going to change our lives. This is going to be amazing. And so they took them in to a valuer the next day, having plotted the whole evening about how they were going to spend their millions. Uh, and the valuer was like, I'm so sorry. These aren't real. And it turned out uh, they'd been filming an ITV drama the week before in the field and had just left the box lying in some reeds and hadn't picked it up at the end of filming. They were gutted. What they thought was incredibly valuable actually in an instant turned out to be worthless. I think what Jesus is trying to highlight in these two parables is for us the same. What we think is valuable, what we hold as precious, actually when we discover the kingdom of heaven becomes almost nothing. For the guys in the passage who were searching for the pearl, all that they held dear suddenly became nothing when they discovered the pearl. And it's the same for us when we find God, when we, when we inherit the kingdom of heaven, when we find relationship with him, everything that we held precious, everything that was so important to us, all the possessions and stuff that we've tied up and brought up and, and held so tightly, actually, they dissolve away in terms of importance. They're just, they, can, they can't hold any sort of light to the value of the kingdom of heaven. Both of these men instantly drop everything. They get rid of all that they own to make sure that they don't miss out on grabbing hold of this precious, precious pearl. 
And Jesus is explaining the same thing. He's saying, this is so valuable. No matter what else you have in your life, no matter what else you're holding tightly, let it go. Jesus was speaking into a culture where they would have understand where they would have understood the the pressures and the and the the holding of richness. They, the the people he was speaking to were grown up under Roman rule, so they would have often seen decadent parties and uh, gold plated parades and riches lorded over them. And, and for a bunch of the guys who were hearing this story, they would have been thinking about riches as they'd escape from their life. They would have said, one day, if I just had the money, one day, if I just had the power, one day, if I just had the authority, um, my life would be better. And Jesus comes in with this message that cuts across the whole thing that says, your one day is right now. You don't realize it, but the most valuable thing you could ever hope to get your hands on is within your grasp. You just need to reach out and grab it. The most precious gift ever known and yet available for everyone. What a crazy paradox. The culture of Jesus' time in Israel is is not that different from the culture that we stand in today. All around us we see Instagram influencers and uh, YouTubers saying, you have to have this, you have to have that, this is the latest thing, you need to be in these trainers, you need to have this phone, you need to be living in this kind of house and driving this kind of car, you need to have this kind of job, you need to have this kind of authority or this kind of power in your life. And Jesus' message about the kingdom of heaven cuts across the whole thing and says, actually, none of that, none of that matters when you hold it up to the value of relationship with the Father. The most valuable thing we can ever invest in is the kingdom of heaven. If you're going to pay a high price for something, don't you want it to be a high price that will follow you in eternity? If you're going to give up and sacrifice and put down for something, don't you want to be investing in something that lasts beyond our time here on earth and echoes with us into an eternal relationship with the Father? The kingdom of heaven is worth everything. It's unexplainable in logic, but perfectly sensible when you hold an eternal perspective. I read an amazing story this week about a man called William Borden. Has anyone ever heard of William Borden before? Brilliant. This is about to change your life. Well, it might not change your life, but it's an incredible story. This guy grew up in the 1800s in America, right at the tail end of the 1800s, and his father was a silver miner. Uh, and because he'd had such a successful time mining silver, uh, he was a millionaire at the time. And William Borden, uh, on his 21st birthday, was due to inherit $800,000, um, which in equivalent spending power is about $20 million uh, in today's society. So he was going to inherit a massive inheritance. But as he went through college and as he went through university he bumped into these Christians over and over again who spoke into his life and told him the value of the kingdom uh, and explained what it was to lay it all down for Jesus and actually when he turned 21 and he was due to uh, take on his inheritance um, he renounced his inheritance and he said I don't want it Uh, I feel like God is asking me to go uh, and tell uh, people in the Muslim world all about Jesus and so that's what I'm going to do he turned his back on his equivalent of 20 million dollars and went off to Egypt uh, to learn Arabic and spent some time there and when he was there training to to go into uh, his mission field he picked up uh, meningitis and he died in Egypt uh, and he's buried in this little tiny graveyard uh, in Egypt for um, Americans who die on Egyptian soil anyway on his gravestone it says this these are the words that are written on his grave it says apart from faith in Christ there's no explanation of such a life 
apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation of such a life. There was no other explanation for him to make the choices that he did other than his faith in Christ. Other than the fact that he understood that nothing of earthly value could ever come close to the value of the kingdom of heaven. He made a choice to dedicate his life to seeing the kingdom of heaven advance in places where it wasn't advancing. And so a great question that I want to start with this morning is for us, do we recognize the value of the kingdom of heaven? Have we valued it correctly in comparison to the other things that hold stock in our lives? Does it get, does God get the right amount of our time, our money, our gifts? Maybe for some of us today, this is a moment to redefine riches, to reorder the priorities in our lives so that our Father is right at the center of it all and that everything else circulates out from that place. Once Jesus outlines the value of the kingdom, he then goes on to explain what the right response is to understanding the values as you see the value of the kingdom. What is, what is the correct response? How, how do you do this thing when, you, when you're presented with an opportunity to know the Father? What do we do? And it says this, both men had a very similar reaction. The first man says, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. And then the merchant, very similarly, he said that he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. One of the men stumbled across the treasure by accident. The other one was specifically looking for the treasure and found it, but both men have the exact same reaction. In an instant, they lay down everything and they sell everything because they know that they have to get their hands on this peril. And what Jesus doesn't say here is like, oh, these guys gave up some of their stuff uh, and that was enough. And he doesn't say, or they gave up like their most expensive things and that was enough. Or he doesn't say, hey, they sold a couple of things and that was enough. It says they gave up everything. And it seems like such a knee-jerk response. Why would you give up everything for one thing? But when we understand the value of the kingdom like we just spoke about before, we understand that it's the most valuable thing we will ever see or get our hands on, then it makes perfect sense that anything else should be on the line to make sure that we can grasp it and can hold it and can be in relationship with the Father. It makes sense that you would give away anything you possibly could to acquire something of indescribable and limitless value. Um, I don't know if you recognize what these are. Um, for some of us, we'll be aware of them. These were the very, very first Adidas Predator um, Mania original football boot. Uh, and the moment I saw these, I knew that I had to get my hands on them. The moment that I saw David Beckham wearing them for the first time, I was like, these are the only football boots I can ever wear in my life from this point forward. I was 13 when that happened, so I didn't have uh, any disposable income. Uh, I didn't have a job. Uh, I think I was getting paid something like £5 a week pocket money. Uh, these cost £100, and I was not willing to wait 20 weeks to get my hands on them. And so I started just selling my stuff. I was like Pokemon cards, selling them to my friends, rare Star Wars Tazos, selling them to my friends. Some of you are like, what's a Tazo? You need to go and Google it. It was a weird thing that happened uh, that in the light of having phones like this makes it seem very foolish. Um, but Tazos were the thing when I was growing up. They were little things that you collected, and I was selling them to my friends. I didn't have enough, so then 
I was like saying to my uncle, I was like, can I come and do some jobs for you? I know you're rich. Like, can I just come and do some stuff? He let me come and paint his garden fence and mow his lawn. And he gave me a couple of quid every time. And eventually, after a couple of months of uh, doing some jobs and selling some of my stuff and uh, pursuing it with all I had, I had enough money to go and get the football boots. And so I went into town and I bought them and it was glorious. I remember the first time I put them on and walked out to play football in them, I was like, there is no way I can lose this match. This is the best thing that's ever, ever happened to me. It was incredible. You might be wondering where I'm going with that story. But this is the thing. I did everything that I possibly could to get my hands on those boots. I was like, it doesn't matter what I have to do. I will clean toilets and I will scrub sewers and I will pick up dog poo. I will do whatever it takes to get my hands on these boots. I think when Jesus is telling this story, he's saying to his guys, You need to do everything you can to be in relationship with the Father. You need to do whatever it takes to make sure that you've got your hands on the kingdom of heaven, that you've got a stake in the game, that you're not missing out. You have to do anything that you can. The right response to understanding the value of the kingdom is a radical laying down of everything, running after Jesus with all we have, pursuing his kingdom is the central mission of our lives. That is the right response. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus also says this. He says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and in his righteousness, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All that stuff that we spend so much of our lives worrying about, where's the money going to come from? What kind of job will I have? What will I, what will I do? Where's, what, what, can, what kind of phone can I have? All that stuff that we're like worrying, worrying, trying, thinking about, trying to make happen. They are an afterthought in the kingdom of heaven. The first priority is seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first your heavenly father as a first priority. Everything else, don't worry about that. It will fall into line. But seek first your heavenly father. I wonder if we'll ever receive an invitation more radical than the one Jesus lays out in this passage. To lay down anything and everything that would get in the way from us getting our hands on a relationship with God. The right response then for us is crucial. We can't hold anything back from him. We can't let anything stand between us and him. Hear from me this morning. What I am not saying is go home, hawk all your stuff on Gumtree, sell your house, phone your family, wander off into the wilderness and and just never see anyone again. That's not what we're talking about here. But I think when Jesus is saying, when these guys sold everything, I think the message he's trying to get across is you have to be willing to lay anything down. Anything that would stop you from having a relationship with the Father has to be ready to go at any moment. Everything has to be held lightly enough so that if God says, come here and do this, or he says, come and pick this thing up, or he says, go to this country, or he says, go to this city, that it's all held lightly enough that we're not holding it so precious so that we say no, but that we say, yes, God, you want my job? You can have my job. I'm going to trust that you've got something for me. Do you want my car? You can have my car. I'm going to trust that you've got something for me. Do you want this house? You can have this house. It's not that we just go home and give everything away, but it's we hold it all lightly enough so that nothing can get between us and God.
I wonder if a good question to ask is, is there anything in my life that currently sits where Jesus should be sitting? Does anything hold more value than him in my life? And if so, maybe it's time to make a right response to the kingdom of heaven. Maybe it's time to count the cost, to lay it down, and to let God show you what he has in store for us this morning. Because his promise to us is not lay it down, be poor and bored for the rest of your life. His promise to us is you lay it down, you seek the kingdom first, and I will give you life and life in all of its fullness. The riches of heaven is what we inherit. We get to live our lives as an adventure with him. That means for us personally, we get to hear him speaking into our hearts around our identity, around our mission, around our purpose, around why we're here. It means for the world around us, we get to partner with the king and seeing people healed, people set free from addictions and long-term beliefs that are wrong. We get to see uh, people's families restored. We get to see relationships renewed. We get to see... um, A whole bunch of things happen that only can happen with God when we're partnering with him. That's our heart for this part of the city. That's why we're here. We're here to partner with God to see this side of the city completely transformed by him. Hey, that's not going to happen if we've only got one eye on the kingdom and one eye on a whole bunch of other stuff over here. It's a laid down, full on response to the king where everything's in our hands is held so lightly that we say, God, it's all yours. If there's anything that gets in the way here, it's yours. If there's anything that would stop me from living life to the full, it's yours. If there's anything that holds me back from the fullness of relationship with you, it's yours. There's a right response to the value of the kingdom. And then there's one final thing that really caught my attention in this passage, and it's the reaction of the man who discovers the peril, the guy who stumbles across it, and he goes off to sell everything in the field. But check this out, I love this. He says, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then, and here's the crucial words, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy, he went off and sold everything he had and bought the field. What an incredible little detail right in the middle of the passage that gives us a clue as to when we respond, how do we respond? In his joy, he went and sold everything he had. It's a high cost to, to, to sell everything. But the correct posture and amongst it is joy. We don't hand our lives over to Jesus and then spend the rest of our days miserable until we join him in eternity. We don't hand our lives over and then constantly just regret it and think, oh, if only I could have had that thing. Oh, if only I had this thing over here. Oh, Jesus, if only I had this thing here. We hand it over and in our joy, we pursue him with all that we have because the transaction is that as we give our lives to him, he then is at work within us. Father God, creator of the universe, the one who, who created gravity and made it a thing, the one who balanced the oceans with the moon so that they came in and out at the right times, the one who created ecosystems that were so delicate that they were so finely balanced that it relied on all little parts of it all working together. That same God is alive and at work in our hearts when we hand our lives over to him. And so in our joy, we give everything. There was a couple that I met in my early 20s. Uh, I know you're thinking that's just a couple of years ago. Um, 
And they were really pivotal in my faith journey. They were called Aaron and Brenda, and I met them through some missions trips that I was doing with my church. Um, but they really helped me to understand a bunch of stuff of the kingdom, like what it was to live out miraculous faith and what, what it was to rely on God because you had no other option. And they, they just lived in a way where they put themselves in, in, in what looked like really stupid situations over and over again. They would be like, uh, in the outback in South Africa, they lived in, in a place called Backdoor, which was this mountain um, that had just like a whole bunch of corrugated iron shacks the whole way up the mountain. And it was, it was like a crazy place. It was quite violent. There was loads of stuff kicking off all the time, but they, they lived there. Uh, and they trained pastors for like three or four years to go back into different parts uh, around the area. And they, they just lived there and they did life there. And, and every time we saw them, we were like, how's it going? They were like, you know what? It's amazing. You should see what God's doing. God's doing this incredible thing. And they were never like, oh, yeah, it's really tough. And like sometimes we worry for our safety at night. And sometimes we do this. They're like, there was joy. They were marked by joy. They lived uh, in Israel for a bit. And they lived uh, in, in Bethlehem where a whole bunch of the Palestinian refugees had been uh, like displaced to. And they um, were like setting up a food bank there so that people could come and access food where they weren't able to do it normally. And like we went out to visit them there and it was like joy every time we hung out with them. They were like, come on, we'll just dance. Let's have fun together. Come on, we'll do this. Oh, we're going to go and do this thing. We're going to invite this family in. Everything they did was marked with joy. Even um, a couple of years ago, Brenda was diagnosed with cancer uh, and then she was told it was going to be terminal. And through the whole journey, it was marked with joy. She was constantly thanking Father God for everything she had. She was constantly uh, joyful right to the very end. And that really messed with my head because I didn't understand it. And I was like, you should be angry and cross uh, and, and frustrated and scared. And I'm sure at different points of the journey, she was at all those things. But the overarching thing that, that I saw in her life was joy. I think ultimately on reflection, when I've had some time to think about it, Brenda had caught the exact same truth that the man who discovered the peril had caught. Knowing God, regardless of our circumstance, brings with it joy because it brings with it an assurance of eternity. The assurance of his goodness, his kindness, his wisdom, his grace, even in the toughest moments, allows us to find a flicker of hope and a glimmer of joy. And joy can be a bit of an ambiguous concept because we see it in the world and we think, oh, joy is that thing. It's like plastering a smile on your face and being a bit chipper and cheery and just sort of being like, come on, everyone, let's be joyful together. We'll clap our hands and it'll be great. I don't think that's what joy is about. I think that the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about here is a posture. It's a choice. It's not a reaction. It's a choice. We choose joy. We choose joy when we lay it down for him. We choose joy when we abandon ourselves and our own pride and our own hopes and our own dreams. We choose joy when we give our lives to him because the value of what we receive in return for what we are laying down is a hundred million times more than we would ever be able to muster. That means when we choose joy, we make a choice not to moan and not complain and not be constantly pining for the things that we wish we could have had. Joy is like not deliriously create, created happiness, but a happiness at paying the cost, knowing what we get in return. I wonder if for some of us that might be a wee word of freedom today. In our hearts, we maybe find ourselves constantly longing for that thing that we don't have. 
maybe today's a moment to lay that down so that we can follow Jesus fully. Maybe for some of us, it's material possessions. We just find ourselves constantly longing for a bigger house or a nicer car or better clothes. And, and we can't do it because we're giving money to God. We're like, oh, if only I just wasn't giving that money to God, then I'd be able to do this other stuff. Or maybe for some of us, it's relationships. Maybe for some of us, we're like, I could be in a relationship tomorrow with someone if it wasn't for the fact I'm holding on and waiting for somebody who will encourage and help me grow in my faith and help me walk closer to God. Maybe for some of us, it's counting the cost of not fitting in with culture, not being able to go out and drink with our colleagues and and sleep with anyone we want and do whatever we please. Maybe that's the cost that we're counting. And sometimes it can feel like we've received the raw end of the deal. And it's really really easy to look at that and feel hard done by. But that posture is the kind of posture that leaves our hearts feeling sick. Constantly torn between two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And it leaves us with these conflicting values. And it's not a fun place to live. It's not the kind of place you can grow in maturity and depth with the Father. And so I'd just love to draw us back to the value of the kingdom for a moment. Jesus, the King of Kings, he died for each one of us. He gave his life willingly on a cross to pay the price of our sin forever. That was the cost he paid, a real painful physical death. And then three days later, he rose from the grave and in that moment, he, he beat the power of sin and death forever. It could no longer have the same hold that it once had. It meant we could be free and clean and spotless to walk into an eternal relationship with the Father that begins here on earth and is completed perfectly in eternity. Eternal life, eternal relationship with God, eternal peace, no pain, no sorrow, no anger, no jealousy, just us and him. Perfect love. Joy isn't something that happens by accident or something that's out of control. We, we choose it. It's a posture. We choose joy as our default response. We choose joy when things are going great. We choose joy when things aren't going so good. We choose joy when we give to the kingdom of God. We choose joy when we serve him. We choose joy when we're persecuted because we know that the price that's been paid for us is worth infinitely more than anything we could ever dream. Why don't we stand? We'll pray together.